Hello, friends and colleagues. It's Nikki from Full Voice Music, and this is episode 100 of the Full Voice Podcast. Now, I have two evil agendas for this episode. The first is a retrospective look back at our first three seasons. There have been so many fantastic conversations, and I wanted to share just a few clips from some of my amazing guests. It is also Freebie Friday. Get to our website, thefullvoice.com. Go to the free resources page. We are sharing a new activity all about exploring beats, rhythms, and rhythmic improvisation. It's all here on the Full Voice Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. We're at episode 100. I don't even know how that happened. I, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around it, but I am just so thankful uh, that I've had this incredible opportunity. And first, I would like to thank you, the listener. Uh, I'm in the trenches, uh, just like you are. I am teaching lessons every week and running my business. And I know how busy you are and how many responsibilities. I know how many hats we wear. So many of you aren't just teaching lessons. You're teaching performers, teaching artists, you're music directors. You are just, you know, you're, you're, you're maybe you're teaching in the classroom as well as teaching private lessons. I just, I have so much respect for this community and thank you for choosing this podcast to listen to. I am so grateful. For those of you who have taken the time to to leave a review. Thank you. Those help us so much. And one of the reasons why we've been able to continue the podcast. For those of you who have sent heartfelt emails thanking me and asking questions and giving us comments and ideas, I appreciate the time you've taken. And I read every single one of those emails. And we are always appreciative of that feedback. So thank you for that. And I want to say a huge thank you to all the guests that we've had over the last few years on this podcast. Your conversations have changed the way that I approach teaching. They've changed my teaching. They've changed my abilities as a business owner and as a resource creator. I am truly grateful for all the expertise I have gleaned over the years through hosting this podcast. Many of my guests have become not just friends and colleagues, but dear friends and esteemed colleagues. And I'm so fortunate that I can call on these people and ask them questions when I need it. I feel like my community has just exploded and I am so grateful. And my, my students are grateful. Now, since... September uh, 2015, um, we have been talking and interviewing people. So we have heard from 
music educators from around the world. And we've heard these music educators share their passion and their superpowers. We've had conversations about working with singers of all ages. We've had episodes about singing technique and warm-ups. We've had fantastic episodes about finding repertoire. We've, uh, we have talked about hosting recitals and prepping for exams. Um, the business challenges. We've also spoken to healthcare professionals. So we have talked to physiotherapists, uh, speech language pathologists, vocologists, music therapists, um, and they have shared their expertise and how they work with singers of all ages. We've discovered amazing teaching tools and companies that uh, are, are there to help us be run a, a professional uh, business. Um, great resources for the private voice teacher. And we've also featured some fantastic children's music composers. I'm just blown away with just all of the wonderful conversations and amazing people that I have connected with. And I I know that um, teachers appreciate these conversations because again, I get great emails and thank yous from people. So here's to another hundred episodes. That just kind of took my breath away. I'm like, oh my gosh, another hundred more. Um, I'm also super excited because we've got an amazing year lined up. So it's going to be just fantastic. Now, I like I said in the intro, I have two evil agendas. The first is kind of a retrospective about uh, going back to some of our early episodes. So I wanted to kind of to kind of pull out some beautiful moments with my guests and some really great takeaways. And I think that, that, first of all, this was a terribly difficult thing to do. I have listened to many hours of podcasts and I have an entire notebook full of notes. Um, but uh, I've kind of chosen some of the some of the episodes that really had an, a, a, a great impact on myself and that things that I took away from um, from the conversations. So I want to start and I want to go back to the very first year, year one, we had started in September 2015. And back then, um, I really was just getting started out. So I, I only felt comfortable reaching out to my local colleagues. Now I have to tell you, I am so fortunate. My colleagues locally are absolutely incredible. I am very blessed. I live in a very populated area. So Hamilton is just kind of just outside of the greater Toronto area. There is so many arts groups and teachers organizations and just so many opportunities for music teachers here. And I have great colleagues. And uh, the first, one of the first interviews I did was with uh, Anne Barnshaw. Now, full disclosure, Anne Barnshaw is also one of my BFFs. She has been a dear friend for many decades. And she was the first accompanist that I started working with when I was working with my young singers. She has performed with my students at examinations, at festivals, auditions. Now, Anne is not only an amazing accompanist, and I cannot call her a collaborative pianist because she hates that term. 
So she is a fantastic accompanist. She's also a brilliant voice coach. She's a singer herself. She's a music director. She works in community theater here in the area. In fact, this evening, November 1st, Ann Barnshaw and my husband, Sean Trotter, are uh, starting their run of Legally Blonde. So Ann is the music director, Sean is in the pit band, and I am wishing the cast and the crew and Ann and my husband uh, and all the musicians a fantastic show. Legally Blonde is one of the hardest shows for the musicians. So just good luck. Break a leg. Everyone. Anyhow, um, so Anne's also a private teacher, and she is an expert on musical theater repertoire because she also teaches at Sheridan College, working with um, young vocalists preparing for musical theater uh, professional endeavors. So I had a wonderful sit down with Anne, and we were talking about one of the biggest challenges we face in our teaching studios, and it's still a challenge today, and that is finding appropriate repertoire for our singers. And this is just a little clip uh, where Anne's talking about our responsibility to look into the music that we're assigning. My advice to teachers is to do your homework on the musicals before you give out songs to your students Mm -hmm. or um, if they are bringing a song to you, then then do a little research. Mm -hmm. Um, I keep talking about appropriate. So so we want to talk about, is this song appropriate? I ask a lot of questions. I'm, and I'll ask my students or my singers questions, right? Because by asking questions, you're getting them to, to use their brains, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not just giving them the information. I'm trying to encourage them to, to, to discover it. Mm-hmm. So is this song appropriate? Is it appropriate for your age? Mm-hmm. Is it appropriate for your voice type, where you are right now in your vocal studies? Is it appropriate for your experience? And that kind of goes hand in hand. Maturity, right? Again, it's it's that thing when you see young girls singing about concepts that you just, they have no clue, right? Mm. Even being in love, like not talking about anything worse than that or more intense than that. But, you know, has, has an 11-year-old really truly been in love mm. or had their heart broken, you know? And there's some musical theater shows out now that are very mature. Absolutely. Like very Absolutely. mature and, 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 and deal with very serious issues yeah. that it's hard to expect an 11 or 12 year old to really mm-hmm. understand. Yeah. So, and I know the challenge, especially with, I'm going to say, especially with those tweener girls, mm. they, they want to grow up so quickly and they want to be able to sing these songs that, and they don't want to sing little girly songs. No, they don't. So, and that, that is definitely the challenge. Um, at Sheridan, we always, like when we're choosing songs or helping, helping the students to pick songs, most of the time, we, you know, you wouldn't sing a song if you wouldn't be cast in that role. And that's the rule. It's a, it's a really good guideline. Now, it is. It's, it's different if you're doing like a concert or a cabaret production. Then, you know, maybe there's a little bit more leeway. But if I wouldn't be cast in this role, I wouldn't be singing this song. Now, continuing in season one, uh, it was absolute... Uh, joy and it was so exciting Um, Sarah Campbell now you heard Sarah Campbell last week brilliant podcast episode about branding your studio but in our first season Sarah Campbell was actually the first international guest that we had she was talking all about workshops and in meeting Sarah and getting to know Sarah it really opened up a lot of doors for us so we started to 
um, seek out and look for more uh, international uh, voice teachers uh, doing amazing things. So I love that one of my first season guests is now a regular returning guest. And um, that's kind of what happens when you uh, when you're doing great things. We love to have our guests back. Now, continuing with um with season one, um, I also uh, in 2015 met uh, the lovely and now a dear friend Shannon Coates. So Dr. Shannon Coates was on a forum in a professional voice teacher forum, and the conversation was about those fidgety students. And in amongst many of the comments where people were saying they're not ready or you should, you know, they're not ready for lessons and, you know, you should talk to the parents and a lot of, a lot of teachers that really didn't know what to do with these fidgety students, Shannon had some incredible posts about why students are fidgety and what our expectations should be and how we can better help and serve our students that were struggling with stillness. It was such inspiring comments that I reached out to Shannon, actually probably in that thread, and asked if she would elaborate on the uh, topic on the podcast. And Shannon was happy to come on the podcast. And episode 19 was called Students Who Struggle With Stillness. And Shannon had some amazing resources and ideas and strategies. And I have to say, this podcast was a huge one for me because in my teaching studio, I had two young singers who were really struggling. And I was not helping them and I was getting frustrated. And after talking to Shannon, I went back to my studio with new ideas and Wow, what a difference. Not only did I help the students, but I was able to work really well with their parents. So this is a clip from Shannon's podcast, podcast number 19, all about students who struggle with stillness. Do you have any advice for private teachers or, say, choral directors <laughs> or, or classroom teachers struggling with the Wigglies? <laughs> I'm going to call them no, the Wigglies. The Wigglies, exactly. I, I don't. I think the best advice, and I think most teachers understand this already, but I think the best advice is just to continually remind yourself that this is not a behavioral issue mm. per se, and that this is not a, a kid trying to be bad, you know? Right. And again, I, I think most of us at this stage in teaching and classroom teachers certainly have an understanding of this um, through their education as well. Mm -hmm. um, that this is this is not a behavioral issue. This is for these kids. This is them just struggling to make it through. <laughs> They're just trying to do their best. And so any anything that and once that mindset is in place, like I said, then we start to look for the things that we can help that can help. And I I do think that therapy. Um, um, like the therapy world mm. is there they have lots of tools that mm. um, are can be really applicable in, in the voice studio um, and for teaching singing lots and lots of tools so that's one place to kind of you know possibly take a look at now moving into season three in season three I met and became a very good friend with 
Dana Lentini. Now, Dana is an ally in the in the crusade to help uh, teachers working with young singers. Dana has a wonderful website called Born to Sing Kids, and she has done extensive research on working with young singing voices. Now, I have to tell everybody, I'm so excited, and it will be out very soon, but Dana is currently working on a new book all about working with the young vocalist. It's being published by Hal Leonard, and we will have her on the podcast to talk about her new book. I'm so excited. There's no one more passionate about working with young voices and Dana has been a strong and positive voice in our community. She was actually the brilliant mind behind starting the forum on Facebook, uh, Voice Teachers for Young Singers. She she uh, called me one day and said, you know, I'd really like to do this. Would you like to co-moderate with me? And I, a, a wonderful decision because we have this amazing community of teachers doing amazing things with their, with their teaching studios. So this is a clip from podcast number 37, where Dana is talking about the young singing larynx. And she's talking about the research that she did, not in the voice singing community, but in the speech language pathologist community about um, the health, vocal health and children's vocal health, because of that myth that studying singing is going to hurt their voice. Well, she went to the bottom and actually found some accurate research about it. And here's a clip from our conversation. When I was doing my thesis, I, I really didn't get my hands on those resources because I really did want to have that factual understanding of how the voice worked, especially mechanically with the kids. And it was really, I, I found late spring this last spring um, and spent the summer reading some really comprehensive studies, but interestingly enough, they were done by speech language pathologists pathologists Whoa. in the academic setting. So that's really where I found some great, great resources was from these these studies done by SLPs. So okay, that's so interesting. Can you dive into that a little bit? So what what if, tell everybody what you were working on this summer? Well, so I I you know I I got I uh, found a book. It's actually a book written by some um, academic professors that are teaching speech language pathology at the university level, and they have a book called The Pediatric Voice. And The Pediatric Voice is basically, their book is for um, speech language pathologists, but it really digs into the whole um, collaborative approach to care of the larynx and the understanding of the mechanism. And, you know, I think that there's not a lot of, this is just my own, you know, two bit. (laughs) Go right ahead understanding really, you know, we know that viewing the vocal folds isn't comfortable, right? You know, Mm. stroboscopies and laryngoscopes, you know, and I think what willing parent or child is going to say, yes, I sign up for that. I'm going to go be in this research study. Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) I think most of the studies are done on patients that have sought the expertise of a medical professional for some sort of, you know, pathology or something. So Um, and that really, that's an interesting thing. So how many kids actually get diagnosed with, you know, some kind of pathology and, you know, in, in this book, I came across a study 
that was done um, of about 160,000 children. It was a, a study that surveyed these pediatric otolaryngologists that, you know, cumulatively, you know, added up to about 160,000 children. And it showed that out of the ones that they examined, only 1%, 1% of those children examined had a voice problem. And out of that, only a fifth of that group had a voice problem related to the professional use of the voice. So that's 0.2% wow. of voice problems related to singing. Now in season two, episode 43, my special guest is Kristen Coffey Rondo. And her podcast was about movement in the voice lessons, activities, and, and ideas to help our students engage in their bodies, to feel beat, to explore movement more gracefully. Now, Kristen is a teaching artist. She has years of experience as a teacher, but she also has an ORF background. So she talked a little bit about the ORF concept and how she applies it in her teaching studio. Now, Kristen also for many years did small group classes with with, uh, children of of all ages. And um, so she had a lot of really fantastic insight. But this is a really important clip and one that um, really stuck with me for the years, which is honoring all of our colleagues that are involved in music education. I feel like in the voice world, we sort of snub our noses at people who majored in music ed, which is really stupid. Um, I don't know. Do you get that impression? I do. I'm really glad you brought that up because I think that there's so much that we can learn from classroom teachers. So much of the changes in my teaching studio over the years have come from classroom teachers, blogs and resources. And I think we can do better. Yeah. So, you know, I... While I might have known how to teach vocal technique, I realized I don't know how to teach fundamentals of music. I I don't know how to teach this stuff. And so through doing the ORF levels and then through just watching these fabulous music educators, just some things begin to click for me um, in, in how to make that happen. And, you know, and I think, and this is something that you're real big on too. A lot of times as voice teachers, we say, well, it's not my job to teach musicianship skills. It's not my job to teach theory. It's not my job to teach you how to count or, you know, we teach technique and style and what a disservice we do to our students and to our partners in music education. When we do that, you know, what if we had a two pronged approach where, yeah, kids got it in schools, but then when they came to our studio in the afternoons, they got it again from a different angle, you know, and how better we could support our colleagues in music education. If that was how we approached it. Now we move into season three. Now, last year in season three, we got serious. We we were having such a fun time and we were having such a positive response to the podcasts that we turned it into a weekly show. We also connected with the fine folks at My Music Staff and partnered with them, and they offer the the My Music Staff Minute now, which is such a help. And um, again, we're having uh, wonderful guests in season three in our weekly shows. And one of one of my local, uh, I call him a colleague, although he's not a voice teacher, he is a musician. But Steve Farrell is a brilliant yoga and meditation teacher. He's my yoga and meditation meditation teacher. And I have always been able to go to his classes. And he has 
The way he instructs, the way that he encourages exploration has always been an inspiration. And I've taken so many things from his yoga and meditation classes into my teaching studio. I've even brought Steve in to do workshops with my singers, and they have been so wonderful and, and singers of all ages. So this is a clip from Steve's uh, podcast. This was episode 85, and we were talking about mindful instruction, the language that we use, the way that we encourage people to make changes, and also being respectful that they may or may not be ready to make those changes. What are other ways that we can politely, like in class, when you give people that opportunity to explore, do you see those who do not wish to explore? Absolutely. Okay, do you encourage it or do you like, no, you just I do kick them. Thing. You kick them. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Although, it's like, side note tangent, there was a woman the other day when we were doing balancing practice. Yes. And I was walking over to sort of give her like a personal cue. Like, what, what would happen if you did this? And she was like, she fell out of the posture <gasps> and she says out loud, she's like, oh, I thought you were going to push me. <laughs> and so the whole class just started laughing. <laughs> Because you do that. Because I totally push people over in classes. So <laughs> in it's like that's my class. that's my style. Um, oh no. Yeah, but I don't. So somebody came up to me after class one day. Um, is it okay to do a plug for like a like a shameless plug? Oh, of course. So, so people might know Darren Laidman, who's a local like a mm. semi-local celebrity, mm -hmm. um, um, who's now going to be on I think like K Light. I think that's oh, where really? he's moving to. Yeah. Um, but he came to me after class one day, and he's been coming to my class for a long time, same as you. Mm -hmm. And he said, one of the things that I love about your classes is that you're not trying to tell me how to feel. Mm. You're not trying to tell me what to experience. You're giving me cues to find it out for myself. And Boom. yes, and that was because that's what I want to do. So for him to say that to me, that the, that the students really recognize that that's where I'm coming from is mm -hmm. big for me because that's what I want to do is I don't want to tell anybody really what to do, that there are some guidelines for sure. Like if we're doing a warrior two, I don't want you doing a headstand, <laughs> right? Um, like if you want to do headstand, go do it in another class or go do it at home. Right. Um, but I don't really want to tell people what they have to do or what they should do because I don't, I don't want to should all over everybody. That's the last thing I want to do is just should, 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 should. And this that is the way that it should be. And this is the way that it, this should be. And so if somebody wants to not explore mm -hmm. and maybe they have relatively rigid ideas about how to do this movement or how to do this posture, I'm cool with that. Mm -hmm. Because then I'll just like, I'll put in little verbal cues about... I don't know, like maybe if we're doing something and I give three options, I mm -hmm. might say, and just notice maybe if you're the person when you have three options available that you always go for the hardest option. Like yes, just I love Just that. notice that. Like, and not that that's bad, just something to notice about in this moment, three options and your tendency perhaps, maybe even off of your mat, sure. is to go for the hardest option. Right. And that's cool. Like if that's where you want to go, then you go there. And you just, you're just bringing attention to it. All I want to do is bring attention to things. So at least you can say, yes, this is a choice that I am consciously making. Yeah. And I might even go over to the person who's sort of rigid in their alignment. Mm -hmm. And I might even ask them, like, 
what would happen if you did this? Mm. Or would you be willing to try this? Oh, I like that Is a that nice language. one. Like, would you be willing to try it? And sometimes I get a no. Really? Like, yeah, and I'm cool sure, with that. Sure, yeah. Right? Or it's like, they'll they'll give me the like the polite nod, <laughs> and then they don't do it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's cool. Like, yeah. You don't want to do that right now with your body. And right, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with people just gearing their own experience towards what it is that they feel that they need. Now, one of the biggest podcasts from last season was episode 89, all about money mindset with our wonderful friend and regular podcast guest, Michelle Marquart DeVoe. Michelle has a kind but no-nonsense approach to dealing with all things business. And not only is she a business strategist, but she is a successful voice studio owner. So she understands the challenges of our industry. I love having Michelle on the podcast. I take away so many things. And I know that there are teachers all around the world making changes to their business and really growing their businesses in a way that not only are they serving their clients, clients, but they are building businesses that are successful and serve the needs of the teacher and supporting their families. So this is a clip from the Money Mindset podcast with Michelle. First of all, it's none of your business what people will and will not spend on you. Mm, Nice. That's not your, that's not your business. Your business is to create the most valuable thing out of your skill set, your experiences and your strengths that you can provide and then tell the world about it. So the person who wants exactly that will get it from you and Mm -hmm. pay you for it. Mm -hmm. Just like you want to get that in the services that you pay for or the products that you pay for. It's not. And so, you know, I, it's controversial in the music world specifically. I mean, this is all small business owners everywhere, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's controversial in the music world specifically because we have, you know, those stories or we have talk about money mindset. We have the starving artist. Mm -hmm. There's so much scarcity built into the musical and artistic life and not only scarcity, but kind of a badge of honor martyrdom thing Mm -hmm. where like if you really cared about music you would give it away for free if you really cared about art you would you know be panhandling on the street just so you could get your you know oils and your canvases and (laughs) and I've heard the I mean I've heard these things said out loud um, and, you know, it's also said, this is one of my favorite ones to see, like, cause we always talk about what's in the forum. So one of my favorite ones is I'm not a business owner. I'm just a teacher. Oh, and I'm like, Whoa, friend, because it's not, I mean, that's fine that you have that much passion about teaching, but the reality is you're not serving your, if you're an independent studio teacher or a voice related business owner, and you only think of yourself as that, you're doing a disservice to your clients because that means that's going to carry over into your customer service abilities. Of course it is. And I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. Why do I say that? The point being is like your money mindset 
affects your clients, which inherently mm -hmm. makes you maybe not as great of a service provider as you think you are. Because mm -hmm. just because you can teach a pentatonic scale and solfa <laughs> does not necessarily mean that you know how to create a quality experience for your clients that will keep keep them coming back. So there's my mini retrospective of just a handful of clips going back right from the very beginning of our of our journey in this podcast up to last year. Now I have to tell you, this year is looking even more exciting with wonderful guests. And again, to all my guests past, present and future, I don't think that works, but you know what I mean. All my guests, thank you. I cannot thank you enough. Now, for those of you who have a favorite episode, don't be afraid to reach out. I like to send the feedback and I will gladly send any feedback to our guests so that they know. And many of our guests are happy to have you reach out to them if you have questions. So please be sure to leave a rating, leave a review, let our podcast guests know, or I will let our podcast know your comments and I Again, thank you so much for that. Now on to the second evil agenda for this podcast. So I'm I'm quite happy that it worked out this way. Episode 100 also falls on Freebie Friday. I love Freebie Fridays. Freebie Friday is where we give away a free download off of our website. So if you go to thefullvoice.com forward slash free resources, you will find our freebie page. And we share fun, educational, colorful, useful downloads for your teaching studio. Stuff that you can use right away. Now, last month, I have to tell you, Pumpkin Spice Song was a huge hit. Pumpkin spice was so popular that it was laminated. That is a that is a ritual in my teaching studio. When a when a resource becomes like a, a go-to, it gets laminated. I even did the lamination live on Facebook because I it's therapeutic for me, really. <laughs> Anyhow, thank you to all of those who uh, shared the fun you were having with your students with the Freebie Friday Pumpkin Spice song. So Pumpkin Spice song, if you don't know what it is, was a part singing, a harmony activity page. So each line was a different part that worked together. And there were so many ways that you could use it. You could um, do it with students of all ages. I did it with my adults. I've had classroom teachers send me videos of their classroom doing it. And of course, wonderful private teachers that have tagged me on Instagram with their videos. I adore you. Thank you for showing me the fun that you're having in your studio. Now, this month's Freebie Friday is from our new resource, Oh Christmas Tree. And Oh Christmas Tree is seasonal singing activities, vocal warm-ups, and holiday music for the intermediate student. And I am so honored and I'm so thankful. It also includes beautiful arrangements by my uh, partner in crime, Mim Adams, as well as Donna Rodenizer. And she has even kindly allowed us to publish some of her original Christmas music, holiday music. And if any of you know Donna's music, you know it is fantastic. Now I have to tell you one of my favorites in the book is Mim Adams' jazzy three-part harmony 
of Oh Christmas Tree. It's too much fun. I have been having a blast with my students, introducing them to this fun little arrangement. Now, what we've done for our Freebie Friday is we've taken the rhythmic improvisation exercise, and that is our download for this month. So if you're interested in trying this with your students, please go and grab it off of our website. So I want to talk a little bit about rhythms and beat and allowing our singers to explore this foundational music skill. Full disclosure, I probably do not do this exercise enough with my singers. I, I, I do a lot of rhythm um, ac- activities, feeling the beat and feeling rhythm with my introductory vocal classes. That is a very important part of my vocal classes. But I need to do this more with my private students, for sure. Our students, our singers, need to have active listening skills and be able to move to the beat, to feel the beat. They need to be able to work well with accompanists and other uh, collaborative uh, groups and be able to uh, follow and and sing well and, and feel the groove. Groove is so important. So if you're working with littles, my first recommendation and my first teacher tip, very simply, is ask them to tap the beat of the music. Now, if you're a piano player and you can play the piano well, you could do that by playing the introduction of their song and asking them to tap the beat. And you can do that and have them tap on their on their lap, or you can have them tap on the piano if they're standing beside your piano. Uh, if you're creative and they need maybe they have some extra energy that they need to get out of their bodies, you could give them a percussion instrument that can be fun. It can also be dangerous, so just be careful. Um, uh, but just asking them to focus on the beat and feel that beat. You could have them walk around the room to the beat of the music that you're playing. Um, When my students are older, we will look at the score and we will discuss things like how many bars, let's count the bars. Can you tap the beats of the bars before you come in? Um, The other thing that I like to do, and this I think is so helpful and certainly something that um, we discussed and we're discovering this summer when I did my Kadai Level 1 certification because beats and rhythms are a big part of of that course. Um, But in addition to having them tap the beat, now wait, before I go into that, the one thing I do want to say is some of your students will have a natural feel for, for beat and some of them will not. Do not be discouraged. Give them some time. Let them explore. Perhaps the first time that you ask them to tap the beat, you can give them some guidance, but don't feel that you've got to make corrections right away. Let them settle into the experience and the act of listening. And you can bring certain things to their attention, but if they are struggling a little bit, do not fear. Give them a little bit well, give them more time. Give them the time that they need. Now, on top of having a student uh, tap the beat, 
then you can have your students tap in their hands. Now, um, I I like the two fingers into the palm of the hand. I think that's that's very very helpful. Um, so have them tap their vocal line. That is a very good way to help your singers learn their music. If there is a dotted rhythm or a syncopated rhythm or a repeating rhythmic line in their in their score, it is very helpful to have them tap that in their hand. I don't know. Can you hear me tapping? I'm sitting here in front of the microphone tapping. My husband's going to wonder what that sound is on the track. It's me tapping. Oh, uh, little sidetrack, side note here. Uh, happy birthday to Sean Trotter, my husband, my editor, my uh, wonderful partner in crime. Um, happy birthday, Sean. And no, I did not forget your birthday. I forget birthdays. I'm so sorry. But it's his birthday today. Anyhow, going back to our bar topic. So having students tap the rhythm of their melody is so helpful. I don't do this enough. It's something that I'm doing more and more. And it is profoundly effective for helping them learn their songs. And you, there's two variables. You can have them sing the melody and tap with it, but have them internalize the melody and tap the rhythm in their hands. Both valuable skills. That is a wonderful exercise. And I would like to invite people and encourage people uh, to do this exercise with students of all ages. Um, because again, a lot of our singers have not been encouraged to, to experience music this way. And this goes back to that conversation where, well, you know, they're going to learn their rhythms and their theory with another teacher. And well, I just played that podcast clip from Kristen talking about honoring all music educators. So I won't go there. But so that little bit of time that might be taken in the lesson is not a distraction from a productive lesson. It's important. Those are foundational skills. One of the fun things that I like to do in my small group classes. So for those of you who are running small group classes, introductory vocal classes, I do have a set of percussion instruments. And there are just days where I hand out the percussion instruments and I'll just put on a different song. And sometimes I'll do, I'll do different types of songs. So I'll do a song that's in 3-4 or I'll do a song that's in 6-8 or I'll do song with a different type of feel. And, you know, I watch the kids. We move to the music. We use our instruments. I will isolate, I'll always have an instrument, I will isolate different rhythms and beats on my instrument and I'll see if I can get the kids to copy me. And it's just kind of happy chaos, but it's still valuable because they are listening and focusing on something different. So for those of you working with beginners, and if you're looking at the uh, download, so the download from Oh Christmas Tree is a, a rhythmic improvisation study with the, the familiar holiday melody, Jingle Bells. And I wanted to tell everybody, the download includes a backing track. Yay! And yes, you can download it. Uh, so download the track, make sure you play the track nice and loud, um, and try some of those, just having them tap to the beat, having them tap the rhythm of the melody. I also like to, with my older students, make them tap on the first beat of each bar. 
And I also insist on making them tap on two and four. That is challenging. Now, I like to challenge them to see if they can tap on two and four while singing the melody. Uh, That is always an interesting exercise and one that's really important. And we might try snapping, um, but just getting them listening to the rhythm section. So in the Jingle Bells download on the track, it is a rhythm section. There's drums, bass, guitar, and piano. Um, So it's a great little track. Now for moving into the more intermediate skills, and we didn't put really an age on this book because it's so it's so common in our teaching studios to have such a wide spread on the abilities of our students. So I have some students that are, they've been studying with me for quite some time. They're only 10 and 11, but I would consider them intermediate level students because they've gone through the full voice workbooks. They understand and they are reading music. They have had several years of performance experiences and they're ready for more challenging activities. So intermediate students are, are kiddos that are, are following the score, score, or they could be adults as well, um, but they're following the score, they're reading music confidently, and they're confident performers. That's, that's how I would classify it. Now, going into the rhythmic improvisation. So um, when, I, when I went to um, college and I was studying jazz, my first year was rather stressful because the concept of improvising was absolutely terrifying. And I felt completely 100% out of my comfort zone and I was constantly being challenged. And thank goodness I had such amazing instructors. But because of my classical training, I had never been given the permission or the inspiration to change the melody or the rhythms or try my own thing or find my own voice. Um, So I like to I like to do that with my students. I want to open their ears and allow them to explore music in a way that's holistic and free and allows them they, to have their own creative moments. So when we're diving into improvisation, there's a few challenges there. First of all, you will have students that will naturally and happily dive into trying new things with the rhythms and with the melodies. And I love those students. They are joy and I love their courage. But we will also have those students that the thought of coming up with something on the spot is very will will could even provoke anxiety in some of our students. I know it provoked anxiety for me. Um, so our exercise with the Jingle Bell song has uh, some. Uh, it has the classic rhythm and the classic melody of Jingle Bells, and then it has different examples of what you could possibly try with that rhythm. So it can be used as a rhythm reading exercise first. So you're having them read the new rhythms and then you can try putting them into the song. But by giving them different variations on the classic melody line, 
The goal and the hope is to encourage them that there's more than one way to sing this rhythm. And again, take your time, allow them to explore. Uh, You might break it into smaller fragments, only do half of the line a little different rhythmically. Um, You can try uh, demonstrating for them and giving them some ideas. Uh, But just take your time and allow them to explore the different rhythms that we've written on the page, and then you might find them a little more willing to give it a shot. Now, one of the challenges and one of the things I always encourage my students, and I know that you do too, is that the studio is a safe place and that they are more than welcome to make some funny sounds and big mistakes. And I always tease my students, you know, if you're going to make a mistake, loud and proud. And I want to shout out to my friend Kelly Barham because she told me about her teacher uh, who was uh, talking about improvisation, which is where she suggested that you try to find the bad notes. You try to sing the wrong pitches. So, and, and just learning that, you know, making mistakes, sometimes you can discover something very, very cool. So that is, that is our Freebie Friday. And again, in our teaching studios, exploring beat, rhythm, And of course, moving into rhythmic improvisation is such a fantastic opportunity. Now, a few other challenges that I will throw at my students. Um, With my older students who have years of experience with performing, I do ask them as they get older and more confident, I do teach them how to count in properly, count in and work with an accompanist. Now, I have to tell you, this is something that causes our kiddos and our singers of any age a lot of stress. Um, And they don't like, they don't like to do it. It makes them uncomfortable. Uh, But I I encourage them to do that. So when they are working with their recital band and when they're doing their performances, for my older students, uh, they have to count themselves in. So they have to work with the band and help them find the right tempos. Um, And that is a fantastic exercise. And I have to tell you, some of my more advanced students that have been with me for a while work beautifully with the ensemble. They know how to communicate what they need. They know how to talk to the band. They know they have no problem stopping a song in rehearsal and asking for something. I love that. Being able to advocate for yourself as the performer, such an important skill. So, Having teaching kids how to or singers how to um, uh, kind of internalize the song they're about to sing, move their body to the tempo, look at the accompanists, maybe tap or clap on two and four um, is such an important skill. So that's one of the more advanced things that I like to do. But again, we got to go back to that foundational skill of understanding beats and rhythms before we can get into something like that. So that is the Freebie Friday download. Now, I, uh, as before I head out, um, the new resource that we have just put out, I am, I'm so excited. And the, and we've, it's only been, out available for a couple of weeks and the response has been 
incredible. I have received so many fantastic comments. I have already received videos of people working on the songs, the Donna Rodenizer songs with their students and preparing for concerts this upcoming season. Um, and the, the reviews and the feedback have been fantastic. Now, one of the things that I am so proud of, and we will continue to do as we release new um, resources, but we have partnered with a company called One Tree Planted. And for every Oh Christmas Tree book that is purchased, we will purchase a tree and it will be planted in the country of where the book was purchased. And to date... Remember, it's only been out for like a week and a half. We have planted 302 trees, some in the United States. We chose California because we know that the forest fires in California have been very bad this year. And we have planted trees out in British Columbia here in Canada. So I want to uh, encourage everybody, if you are looking for some uh, unique gifts and a way to give back, uh, check out their website. Uh, OneTreePlanted.org is their website. Uh, great ideas for Christmas gifts if you're looking to be a little more environmentally responsible, a great way to give back. And we are... We're excited as a, as a small publishing company that we have this opportunity to lessen our footprint to, as, cause obviously as a publisher, we are printing on paper. So we're looking at this as a way to, to give back and to, um, make sure that we are not taking more than we are giving. So I'm very happy to, to partner with them. So please check out One Tree Planted. And as we, uh, as we are, as I'm signing off. Uh, again, to you, the listener, my friends, my colleagues, I mean that from my heart. You are my friends. You are my colleagues. Thank you for choosing this podcast. Thank you for your time, whether you're out running on a beach, going for a walk, whether you're at the gym, or if you're like me, I love to listen to podcasts when I'm cleaning my house. I get smarter and my house gets cleaner. Win-win. Wherever you are, thank you so much. Now, before I sign off, I want to share, uh, this is the recording session that we did last week. This is Donna Rodenizer's arrangement of Silent Night. I asked Donna to do this arrangement for SSAB because I wanted to something that would address um, our young boys that are just getting into choral music and their voices are just going through the change. Donna did this amazing arrangement and it's absolutely stunning. This is Canto Ensemble. Canto Ensemble is a fantastic small vocal ensemble here in Hamilton. They are incredible and they are by far one of the most hardworking ensembles I have ever worked with. They uh, came into our church and we had a recording session last week. This is Silent Night. This is Donna Rodenizer's arrangement. This is part of O Christmas Tree, seasonal singing activities, vocal warm-ups, and holiday music for intermediate singers. It's available on Amazon and our website. And I hope if you're looking for some beautiful music this year, you'll check it out. Mm -hmm.